Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the La Liga Lowdown podcast. My name is Tom Harris, and I'm delighted to be joined by Paco Pollitt to refocus our attention, really, on domestic football and wave goodbye to what was an incredible World Cup in footballing terms in Qatar. Of course, it was, you know, from a La Liga perspective, we've seen Lionel Messi crown an unbelievable career with that one trophy that he needed. We've also seen 10 La Liga players become world champions. We've seen lots of fantastic performances across the tournament as well. Yusuf Endesiri, Yassine Bono, Antoine Griezmann all flying the flag for La Liga to really whet our appetites for what's going to be an amazing second half of the season. Just looking at that table, there's only two points separating Real Madrid and Barcelona at the top. So looks like we're going to have a titanic tussle for the title. Also only five points separating Athletic Club in fourth and Mallorca in 11th. So very congested in the run for, in the race, sorry, for European qualification. And Sevilla still in the relegation zone, a bit ahead of Elche, who look to have it all to do. But lots of very interesting storylines and, and we're going to get stuck into all of those later on in the show. But first, Paco, I mean, what a crazy World Cup it was. It's only actually been six days since that amazing final. Hmm. Are, are you ready to go again or has it all come a bit too soon? Uh, I would say that uh, we haven't really gotten past the the amazing and the brilliance that we actually saw in, in that final between uh, Argentina and, and France. I think it was one of the best uh, World Cup finals we've seen ever, uh, at least in my lifetime, you know, and, and I think that uh, it's been the... The stories surrounding the game and surrounding the aftermath of the game have been so amazing uh, through and through with all of the uh, celebrations, the parade over in Argentina with the, all of the people going uh, onto the streets to, to celebrate. I think that we are still having some sort of hangover in that sense. But yeah, definitely, I think that the, the Christmas holidays are going to be the perfect moment to just refocus once a bit, once again and, and just think about what is uh coming along in the next couple of months because if i'm not incorrect i believe that we are having non-stop football for al almost three months straight uh before that last uh you know international break which will take place in the last weekend in march so that's 
plenty of, you know, I believe it's like 12 full weeks of non-stop football with Copa del Rey, with the um, Super Cup in Arabia and obviously with La Liga games uh, here and there, you know, every single weekend and uh, some midweeks too. So overall, I think it's going to be a very, very demanding period for most of the squads. Uh, that's why I think that the transfer market is just heating up at this point and warming up and I think that in the following days and the following weeks especially in the first days of January uh, there's going to be plenty of movement because I think many teams both in La Liga and in other European competitions are, are going to need reinforcements and try to uh, shuffle things a bit uh, as and I believe we're going to speak about this in, in the next few minutes. Some of the players and some of the squads are going to be hit hard um, because of the World Cup, because of the uh, physical demands on the on the players, because of the exhaustion that some of, some of them are going to show in their teams. And that's why uh, I believe, if not 100%, 90% of the squads will need to, you know, shuffle things a bit and try to bring in something new to the table in order to strengthen a bit their their own teams. Yeah, for sure. It's going to be very interesting January transfer window. I mean, before we go on to speculating a little bit about what teams might be looking to, to strengthen or what they might be looking to do, you know, as we've mentioned, it's been not the best tournament for the Spanish national side, mm. but the Spanish league has had a lot of very, you know, high-performing players. I just wanted to know who was your favourite player to watch in Qatar and if there were any, you know, particular disappointments that stand out. Well, obviously, I think that the performances for all of the Moroccan national team have been outstanding, uh, especially Bono, uh, Sevilla's keeper, as their uh, starting goalie. I think that it has been crucial for them to be able to keep their, uh, you know, fortitude and, and strength at the back with the, the the back line of four and with Bono under the sticks. And obviously, in front in the city, even though... He hasn't really had much to do in the scoring uh, area of his skills because uh, Morocco haven't been really the greatest attacking side. Uh, he has done an, uh, an outstanding job, in my view, in order to press high and try to get you know wearing down and, and tearing down those defenses in order for his, for his teammates to to actually take advantage of that so i think that both nsd and bono have been highlights of the tournament obviously we have to speak about antoine griezmann i think that he has been overall i'd say possibly the most complete uh player of the of the whole competition i think he has done Absolutely everything. He has been defending. He has been in the midfield. He has been building up the plays. He has played as number 10. He has scored. I don't know. I think that in France, Mbappé obviously is going to carry most of the weight and the and the, all of the flashes of the of the cameras. But but behind the scenes, I think that actually Griezmann has been the one running the show. And and France would have would have gotten so far in the tournament, even though they have amazing quality. Uh, if Griezmann has, hadn't been like spot on in most of, the, of his uh, performances, and regarding the rest of the of the players, I think that De Paul uh, has shown that he can be more important for the team where he's playing currently than he actually is for Cholo Simeone. I think that uh, he has shown he has been the, the perfect sidekick for for uh, Messi with Argentina, but obviously he doesn't have that kind of player in Atletico Madrid, and that's why his uh, relevance and and an important role has been diminishing in the in the last few months. 
And uh, after speaking so much about highlights, I only want to say that there have been quite a few disappointments. If we leave aside Spain, obviously, uh, I think, for example, Osman Dembélé's uh, performance in the final was not the best. You know, I, I don't want to be so harsh on 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 him, but he wasn't, uh, you know, World Cup final level. He he wasn't with the mentality, he wasn't with the attitude, and he wasn't with his playstyle. So overall, I think that some players are going to be strengthened by their overall performances in, in the World Cup, but others, I think that have many, many things to change if they want to become important in their in their teams once again. Yeah, it was a tough one for Ousmane Dembele. Obviously, he was substituted as well early in that World Cup final. So it'd be really, you know, a test of his character to see if he bounces back and, and makes an impact for Barcelona this year, as he has been doing throughout the season in La Liga. Just talking about those players that you mentioned who you were impressed with, there were two Atletico Madrid players, but there were also two Sevilla players. And it's, it's a bit of a strange one, you know, they're, they're in the relegation zone, of course, at the mm. moment in La Liga. And Yusuf Nezidi hasn't scored a La Liga goal and he's managed to score two at the World Cup, including the winner against Portugal. Um, yeah, I mean, with that informed striker coming home, that, that striker that they've been missing for a lot of this time, is is this, you know, do you see Jorge Sampaoli making the most of this situation or, you know, how, how does this World Cup form translate back into league domestic form, do you think? It, it's definitely weird to see that uh, we actually are talking about players who are uh, in teams who are actually struggling this season. Because obviously Sevilla, you only have to look at the standings, but Atletico Madrid aren't in the best shape. You know, this this season so far, they have suffered plenty of blows, both in the European competitions, also harsh criticism uh, directed at uh, Cholo Simeone. Overall, they, they are not having their best year. And, and that's why it's so surprising to then see how some of their individual players are able to shine in other uh, contexts and in other teams and in other environments, uh, which really says quite a lot about what is happening inside Atletico Madrid rather than the quality of those players. We don't have to speak about Griezmann. Everybody knows that when he's like 100% focused, he's world-class. But overall, Paul can also be a very uh, important player for, for his national side. But when they come back home into Atletico, they find a new set of problems that they have to endure and when, you know, and they have to uh, tackle and uh, the demands of the of the fan base, the the demanding character of Cholo Simeone, the you know uh, ability and necessity to always finish top three ultimately because Atletico Madrid can only be sustainable if they consistently finish between the uh, you know the first and the third. Uh, place in the table and they always play the Champions League and they always are able to get that uh, TV rights money every single season for being like the the one of the th three, four teams going into the Champions League. So overall, I think that the, the level of pressure inside Atletico Madrid has slowly crept up into becoming a problem for some of their players. Uh, because the pressure when playing for France and Argentina is definitely there. But it's a different kind of pressure. I think in Atletico Madrid, uh, that has been, in my view, one of Simeone's biggest uh, achievements in his 
plus 10 years uh, in charge of Atletico, he has been able to constantly be renewing the squad because he knows that whenever you have the same side for two, three seasons in a row, they become um, comfortable and they become more soft. I would say they become softer in their levels of demand and the levels of ambition. And that's what is happening with Atletico Madrid. So I think that he must try to slot in the best things coming outside of the World Cup, which is the individual performances of some of his players. Some of them have, haven't had that relevance. For example, I'm, I'm thinking about Coque for, for uh, Spain. He hasn't played. Uh, he has been almost non-existent for, for the Spanish squad. So he has to try to bring in once again Coque into the, the 25-man rotation. I think that Atletico have a big challenge ahead of them. But also Sevilla. I think that Sevilla is even even tougher for, for them because they are not used to the battle down there. They are not uh, used to get into a scrappy fight into other sites which are much more used to that kind of, you know, getting down into the mud, getting dirty, playing like super, super tight games, uh, not allowing goals, scoring like the late 90-minute single goal in order to pick up those three crucial points and Sevilla need to do that like since day one once the ball starts rolling once again. Um, Sampaoli really has a possibly the biggest challenge in his years over here in Spain because it's not the same definitely coaching Sevilla when you have super top tier players and you are always aiming for European spots than coming in consciously and knowing that you have to at least uh, string two, three big wins in a row in order to get out from the pit. Because if not, things can become uh, chronical in that sense. And if you find yourself in February, March, uh, you know, not in the relegation spots, but, you know, flirting with them, people can get really, really nervous. And Sevilla's fan base can be very vocal about their disagreements, as we, as we have seen this season so far with Lopetegui. And also with Monchi, the sports director, who has had his fair share of, of criticism this year so far. Yeah, I mean, just looking at Sevilla's upcoming fixtures, I mean, their first game is back on the 30th of December against Celta, so that is a crunch match, really, you know, away yeah. at Celta as well, a difficult Between place to go. both of their sides, yeah. Exactly, and under a new manager as well, Carlos Carvalho will be looking to get off to a good start. And then they have Getafe, Girona, Cadiz and Elche before a trip to Barcelona, so... An opportunity to to you know improve their position, but also a very treacherous run of five games because if they start dropping points to teams like Girona, Cadiz, Elche, then could be a bit of a difficult end to the season for them. In another context or in another season, we would be talking about Sevilla being able to win the next five games in a row. That would be before playing against Barca. That would be like the logical steps being followed in any regular season. But this one hasn't been so far. And that's why Sevilla, at this point, I think they can lose against any of them or even all of them. Obviously not. But, you know, after all, they are, we're talking about 12, 15 points that if you don't get uh, 100%, you at least need to pick up nine, nine, ten points out of the, the, the run of five games. Because if not, things are going to get mm, hairy for, for Sevilla going to be absolutely fascinating. I mean, just to close off part one, obviously we have this title race going on. It, it, it's looking really, really tasty at the top. And 
It was interesting. I was listening to Pep Guardiola yesterday in his press conference for Manchester City, and he was saying that the players who went to the World Cup were actually in better shape and, you know, looking, performing, training better than the players who didn't and who had time off. And obviously, we're talking about Barcelona. They had the most players in La Liga who went to the World Cup. They had a few disappointments, as we mentioned before, it was Mandembele. Mm -hmm. Lewandowski came back early, so did Gavi and Pedri after some good performances. Araujo wasn't risked for Uruguay, so perhaps they've not had the worst of tournaments. Also, Real Madrid, Chouameni obviously played very well and got to the final. Valverde, Thibaut Courtois came home early. I mean, is it worth reading into, do you think, how this World Cup went for these two sides? Or do you think the title race is going to be decided on, on other factors further down the line? I think Guardiola's assessment makes plenty of sense for a number of reasons, but that is going to come back further along the road and, and prove itself uh, wrong. At this point, and I'm going to be a bit graphic in this sense, uh, it's like a chart, you know, the performance chart of the players having gone to the World Cup and those who didn't go, okay? Uh, the players who went and, and competed in the last six weeks, I believe that they are going to have a peak performance around January and they are going to find themselves very, very tired in the last two months or three months even of the competition. So we are talking about potentially most of the players who who were present in that in that tournament being like at the peak of their of their performance. Now this month because they didn't uh, have that kind of hiatus mid season and they don't have to get back to shape and they are going to be in their prime in January, possibly February and March. But in April and and May they are going to find themselves very tired. Um, on the contrary, I think that those players who have rested now, they are going to find it a bit tougher to get back into their mood and their uh, competitive shape. Now, we're talking about January, February, but they will be in their prime spots in March, April and May. And that is going to happen in every single team with international players in every single competition. So we're going to need to see how the teams are able to balance that kind of performance right now against mid-term performance uh, in the last stages of the of the leagues. Um, it's going to be interesting because it's the first time that this happens in, in any single uh, competitive season. And I believe that those squads with more bench depth are going to be fully benefited about this because they are able to, you know, have their 10, 11 international players who are going to keep playing now. But when time comes, the rotations will come in, you know, in Copa del Rey or in, uh, you know, some La Liga um, games or match days or midweek games. And those rotations will come very, very handy for the for the managers. And that's why I believe that bigger squads are going to be more benefited about this. Guardiola is right about the immediate performance of the players uh, having taken part in, in the World Cup, but I think those will be depleted of their of their um, strength and, and stamina in the in the final eight, ten weeks of competition. And that's will that will be when other teammates will be able to take up the mantle and carry their, their teams into success or failure.
Yeah, we'll leave that for the listeners to decide then between Barcelona and Real Madrid. Who do you fancy? Who has a better squad depth? Because obviously it's a very difficult one to. I, I think pin both down. of them. I think both of them um, haven't had really an impact by the by the World Cup because ultimately Modric has played everything, but we have been you know gotten used to him uh, being thirty seven or thirty eight, I believe, and and. Mm, age not showing in that sense. I think Modric will suffer in the final two months of the league. But for example, Benzema didn't play. For example, uh, Lewandowski did play, but he really didn't get very tired about this. I also spoke earlier about Dembele and his uh, lackluster performance. Chouameni is going to be very reinvigorated by his role with France because ultimately he's very young. And it's not the same talking about a 37-year-old or a 35-year-old as as Lewandowski or Modric or Chouameni, who is, I believe, 20 or 21. You know, it's not, it's not the same. We're not talking about the same level of, of stamina. So I don't think Barcelona and Real Madrid are going to be that impacted by the World Cup because they have very deep squads. They have plenty of players to get into the rotation. And ultimately, they haven't really been that successful, you know, because the stars of Argentina and France weren't Real Madrid or Barca players, even though Barca may feel that Messi belongs to them. He no, he no longer plays in Spain. So ultimately, an Mbappé for Real Madrid fans, Mbappé isn't playing for Real Madrid, even though some will, you know, give up a hand uh, in order to him to do it. So they are not going to really get that uh, negative impact from the World Cup. And I think that both, both sides will do fine in their respective competitions. Will be very, very interesting to see how that all pans out so that'll do for part one um make sure to join us again for part two where we'll be talking a little bit about some of the sides who weren't so affected by the world cup and have a look at some of the goings on in spain while we were all distracted by qatar 2022
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome back to part two of the La Liga Lowdown podcast. My name is Tom Harris and I'm joined once again by Paco Pollock. As we mentioned, we're going to have a look now, you know, a bit closer to home and have a look at some of the things that have been going on while we've been watching the World Cup in Qatar. You know, there has been stuff happening. You know, there have been two newish managers. Carlos Carvalhal had a few games before um, the World Cup break, but Pablo Machin was the brave man to step into the Elche job. LG obviously 14 games into this season, zero wins and just four points on the board and eight points adrift at the moment. So he's got a big, big job. They did win in the Copa del Rey. That was Carlos Clerc finally won a game. Finally. Uh, 35 games, I think it was, that he hadn't won. Finally gets a victory under his belt. So they have won. They've not had the worst kind of pre-season, if you want to call it that. They've had some friendlies. They've beaten West Brom. They've run Leeds and Genk quite close in these pre-season fixtures. Mm-hmm. Any hope for Elche or, or do you think they're going to really, you know, Pablo Machine is going to have to pull off a miracle? Yeah, I think that's the word for it. You know, uh, possibly the toughest job in Spain uh, right now because is not only trying to overturn and 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 switch the the dynamic we've seen uh from Elche in the in the first uh 15 games of the competition i think that overall Elche squad isn't really up to par or at least uh has the level needed or required to to remain in in la liga i think that in order to be able to uh, reach uh, salvation, they will need to bring in someone in January. I think that uh, Bragarnik, uh, Elche Stobras, I think that he is really committed to try and and uh, strengthen the squad uh, with a couple of transfers, a couple of signings. But uh, if not, it's going to be a very tough job. I think Pablo Machin really uh, took up the 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 daunting task of of uh saving elche because many other managers rejected it before i think we have spoken about this earlier i think that it's already well known that uh, jose bordalas was approached by elche's management he did back in the day uh, an amazing task uh at the helm with with this with this team and he was offered like a, a big contract with a number of seasons big salary and 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 he turned it down because he asked for a big change in in a number of positions he needed players he needed uh a number of tools and uh, they weren't really keen on 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 giving him them some so i think that uh he turned it down he was quite sensible in that sense and machine he he had been for quite a while out of the you know uh, manager rotation in in Spain and when you have been out of that for one year one full year a year and a half you really need get to need to get back to to the to, you know to the fray and you need to even though you are uh in charge of a side with mm, not the best shape he has many things to win and nothing really to lose because everyone knows that Elche were in shambles be- before he 
he came over to try and help them. And that's why it's going to be very interesting to see what he really brings in in order to save this, the side. I think that the, cru the crucial aspect of, of Elche is uh, trying to, uh, you know, stop the hemorrhage from, from bleeding because the, the number of goals allowed so far has been mind-blowing and, and you don't really have any chance of, of remaining in a Liga uh, being so easy to, to score uh, aside conceding so many goals. So if he's able to fix the things at the back and bring in a you know, reliable striker in January, I don't know, they might have a chance, but I think it's, it's very, very tough. Remember, only four points so far. They need eight only to pop up their heads out of the relegation so 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 far and and their their schedule is not the best we spoke about them they are facing sevilla i believe also atletico madrid in the next few weeks so it isn't going to be the the easiest task for for machin no certainly not i mean 31 goals i believe that they've conceded in in 14 games so that's comfortably over, over two, two goals game. per game which is impossible it's yeah. impossible with with that kind of stats uh you would need to score three per game in order to win or score two at least in order to pick up a point that's impossible so if they are able to fix things uh in their defense they might have a shot yeah i mean i was just going to say i i i think there are a few players in the lha side who i quite like and from an attacking perspective i mean they traveled to mestaya and i think they were quite unlucky not to come away with three points on yeah. that occasion i like peremia i like lucas boyer i think they're good players but yeah that defense is where Pablo Machine is going to have to concentrate. Roger on. Marti was mm. Levante striker last season, and he used to have, you know, a good a good performance overall. But last year for Levante was lackluster, and and this season so far, I think he has played very very little, and he hasn't scored. So that's one of the signs that things aren't going so well over there. Yeah, we'll certainly see. I mean, another side who have perhaps disappointed a little bit. I don't think anyone really knew what to expect from them at the start of this season. That, that's Celta Vigo. They've dismissed Eduardo Coudet, who was a fantastic manager for them, got them playing some really good football, and they brought in Carlos Carvalhal, the former Sheffield Wednesday manager. Um, I've written on our Substack, uh, that's llonline.substack.com, about Jorgen Strand Larsen and how I think he could be a, a striker who didn't score in the first half of the season, but I think he's due for a big second half just through some of the performances he's shown. You know, it's a difficult one. Obviously, Kudet was very attacking and very positive. Carvalhal, perhaps a little bit more, um, a little bit Balanced. more sensible. Balance, yeah. exactly. Do you think, yeah, looking at that, Celta Vigo, they've been one of the best teams to watch in La Liga over the last couple of seasons. Do you think they've got what it takes? Well, I think that uh, Carvalhal is this kind of, you know, Portuguese manager coming from the school of of the Nuno Espirito Santo and... and um, uh, so on that they tend to favor a very balanced style between attacking and defense, whereas for Kudet really was more of a, uh, I don't know, more fancy attacking-wise, uh, Yago Aspas-driven style, you know. And I think that Carvajal will need to um, get Larsen into top shape and, and get him to score as, as um, soon as possible try to bring Yago Aspas once again into the center of his system and, and make him to feel important and become important and become relevant both in assists and scoring. And uh, as we spoke earlier with Elche, the teams who are struggling and need some managerial 
shifts in in the early uh, part of the season, most of them have the, have the same problems at the back. So he is able to start, you know, stringing in clean sheets one after the other. Uh, Celta will surely improve, even though they might not have the, the best attacking front in the league. If you uh, you know are able to not allow goals easily and and become uh, a force uh, at the back, uh, you will get positive things and you will pick up points here and there and the, the, you know random win away from home. You will win in Balaidos. You, you have to. I think Carvajal needs to become once again that kind of Balaidos-driven manager for Celta because Cudet really wasn't that. He was very similar the style was very similar both playing at home and away from home and it was too inconsistent and ultimately that was the reason for his sacking so uh yeah another very challenging task for for a manager it's also his first experience in la liga so overall i don't know how he's going to to tackle it but yeah once again very interesting to see uh the outcome of this of this decision by celta sport yeah, and as we mentioned before, the first game at home to Sevilla at Balaidos, that game is going the to drama. be... The drama. Yes, yeah. it will be very, very interesting to look out for. So j just finally, before we, we wrap up here, we, we were talking about Raul de Tomas before. He's he's Rayo Vallecano's player now. He's obviously not been able to play throughout the first half of the season because his transfer was registered too late. He's now come in and if we look at how he played last season for Espanyol, 17 goals. He, um, I think it was 101 shots he managed, which was only behind Karim Benzema. He generated more expected goals than anybody in the league, apart from Karim Benzema, who, of course, won the Ballon d'Or. How much firepower is he going to add to this Rayo side and how excited are you to see him? I'm excited to see him alongside DC Palazón, you know, uh, as the set-piece taker and the guy playing overall overall the all-around midfielder you know he plays as number 10 but he plays also in the wing he plays wherever he wants so i think that kind of combo is going to be very very tough to to counter by the the opposite defenses um i think that he's a great striker raul tomas uh unfortunately for his career his mentality and his uh i would say his iq in some of the moments both inside and outside the pitch hasn't been the best because his raw talent possibly is one of the best overall in the league. But then you also have the other side of all of the football, um, you know, world relying on your decision making, on the, you know, the agents surrounding you, your relationship with the fans, your relationship with the with teammates, your relationship with the manager and with the boards. And in that sense, Raul Tomas hasn't really been the smartest guy when taking decisions. But I think that as he's approaching that, you know, maturity as a player, I think that he's settling down and I, I, I expect him to do that exactly that in Rayo Vallecano. I think that that's the, pl the place when he can really, really thrive after becoming a, a force to be reckoned with in Espanol in the last couple of seasons. I think he had, can be very important for Rayo Vallecano and he can be the guy who brings into the table the goals, who other strikers such as, I don't know, Radamel Farcao, for example, who is already, his age can, can be seen in, in his movements and in, in his performance. Uh, Raul de Tomas can finish all of the build-up that Iraola really wants from his team. So in that sense, I think that the, the addition to the squad really fits it like a, a perfect glove in that sense. 
Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, he was actually linked to Manchester United last season. You know, teams like Aston Villa in the Premier League as well were looking at Real de Tomas. And for Rayo to sign a 28-year-old, you know, one of the top scorers in the last season, it, it's unbelievable. And, you know, this Rayo feel-good story looks set to continue. So that's all for today's episode. Thanks very much for listening. Um, it's been a pleasure to talk to you, Paco. And yeah, really looking forward to what we've got to come. You know, we've been, we didn't able to, to perform a, a show without talking too much about... You know, Barca, Madrid, uh, Benzema, Lewandowski, uh, Atletico. Well, we did speak about Atletico, but we didn't bring up Valencia, fortunately for me, because uh, <laughs> it doesn't seem that any transfers are going to happen or big transfers in that sense. Uh, Villarreal, many things to to watch out for them. Uh, the new Estadio La Cerámica, Quique uh, Setién. You know, that, that is going to be an interesting storyline. The battle for the European spots, I think, is going to be massive. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a very interesting second half of season. Osasuna in the in the middle of the fray, no international players for them, at least not not so many. Atletic Club, the same with Valverde, who is in my view a mastermind. I don't know. This year we we have like nine, ten teams that we can really uh, look out for every single match day, and and that is an absolute beauty for for any neutral, at least La Liga fan. Yeah, that's the great thing about La Liga, all the storylines we have. And of course, the great thing about La Liga Lowdown that we focus on all of them, not just Barcelona, Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid at the top. But yeah, we have some preview podcasts coming up in the coming days where we'll look um, specifically towards these games coming up towards the end of December. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at La Liga Lowdown and also to subscribe to our Substack, llonline.substack.com for all the latest news, reaction and opinion pieces from our excellent team of writers emailed straight into your inbox, absolutely free of charge. But other than that, thanks so much again for listening. And of course, from everyone here at La Liga Lowdown, we're wishing you a very Merry Christmas.